lies, liars, falsehood. These are all things we all have to deal with in life, whether it's business or otherwise. But the Chazonish's Jewish Ashkafa series is now going to elaborate on the world of lies, but in a place that we really shouldn't want to deal with, a place we don't want to deal with. Lies coming from the rabbinical world. Liars that he calls nochlim, which are crooks in so many words. Who are these crooks? How do we spot the crook? What do they look like? What do they say? There are certainly big questions that need to be answered. There are certain events that took place over the last month or so that need answers. Are they allowed? Are they forbidden? The coronation of King Charles in England was something that the Goyim have no problem with, and we have no problem with them doing it. The problem was only when the chief rabbi of England took a key role in that whole coronation when it's inside a church. But he says it's perfectly fine and allowed. He even celebrated it on the podcast of local rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, where they both celebrated it, among other things that they were happy about. Are these things allowed? Is justice in their hand? Is the honesty in their hand? Or are they crooks, according to the Torah? This is a big question. And we're going to need as much help as possible to uncover the truth. Not only from the clarity of the sages of yesteryear, but even the Chachamim of today. From the Beddin. If you go to a Beddin, what would they paskin? This will all be given to you tonight and assure that you must know, share, and Be'ezrat Hashem, enjoy. To know the truth once and for all. We are looking forward to hearing and seeing your comments. We're starting a new week, and uh, this new week, Baruch Hashem is going to start up with some fireworks, Bezod Hashem, as we go into the series of the Jewish Ashkafa by the Chazonish that has been uh, really opening up our minds about the world of lies and really what are lies, liars, and people that um, <clears throat> simply uh, uh, made it their, uh, their day-to-day habits to lie. Uh, tonight is going to go into a, uh, another avenue of liars, something that many of you uh, have heard us discuss over the years, but even more elaborate. Um, tonight's show is going to be for the Refuah Shlema for Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Rav Ephraim ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Levana bat Sara, Avi Mori David ben Nesriya, Imi Morati Doris bat Jora, and all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides that continue to support our organization and help us, and uh, uh, most importantly, watch our lectures. All of you that are watching, I really appreciate you watching, subscribing, and sharing, uh, because uh, these lectures uh, certainly have helped quite a few people. I, uh, I'm going through some messages uh, over the last uh, several weeks, and I see some people that uh, you know have been literally with us over the last five or almost ten years in some cases, uh, where you literally see their original comments from you know seven, eight, nine years ago, and uh, their questions today. And you just simply from the questions, you see a transformation uh, that's uh, just unbelievable, unbelievable. So Baruch Hashem for that. So. Tonight, we're uh, going to go into this next aspect of the world of lies, as the series is talking about uh, Jewish ideology, but Jewish ideology is huge. 
It's enormous. You know, it's a Jewish ideology is not uh, something that you can uh, simply put in a uh, single lecture or needless to say, uh, anyone that has been watching this series over the last couple of years sees that Jewish ideology is, uh, is a world of its own. And in the world today, we live in a, um, unfortunately, a world of confusion, a world of ignorance, where many people are uh, believed that they stand for something sometimes when they don't even know what that something is. Other times people stand for something when that's something that they're standing for is simply wrong. And we need our sages, we need our holy Torah uh, to be elaborated by them so we can understand what is the right way to think. How are we supposed to think? How are we supposed to address these different issues that are in our lives, in our communities, regardless of whether you're in a, uh, the business environment or the religious environment or both, family environment, marriage, single, kids, all of those things require a person to have one common ideology that is going to dictate how to behave across the board. Now, one of the most unfortunate things that we all have to deal with uh, throughout our lives is liars, people that disappoint, people that take advantage, people that simply distort the truth in uh, as many ways as they can imagine, many times for the sake of benefit. Sometimes people lie simply because they are pathological liars and they simply have uh, got, become accustomed to lying so much so that they can't even tell the difference or even the significance of lying. Those lies don't necessarily hurt uh, as much as the lies that you get from people that are important to you, people that work for you, uh, you know, a person that uh, can work for you for five, ten years uh, and you have a lot of trust in him or her. Uh, the biggest disappointment you could ever get from such a person is not even a failed project or a, uh, a failed idea, but rather a failure in the relationship itself when you find out that that person has been lying to you all along. Uh, but this is unfortunately one of the things that a person has to deal with. One of the things that uh, the Torah tells us is that there are lies that you have to deal with and there are lies that you choose to deal with. Meaning, if you're going to run a business, expect your employees and sometimes your customers and vendors to lie to you because this is simply a part of the world when people don't follow the Torah to the T, when people don't follow the Torah like they're supposed to, they resort to lies because they don't necessarily think of it as much of a big deal. Now, these are lies you have to deal with because there's no way you're ever going to find the perfect employee, the perfect partner, the perfect vendor, the perfect customer. You know, I always told people when you used to have the financial business that, you know, the insurance business, which was just one part of our business, was one of the businesses I truly hated uh, simply because it was a business of lies. Everyone is a liar. The uh, insurance company is lying to everybody by telling you that they're going to insure you no matter what because the second you make a claim looking for insurance that you've been paying for for all this time they look for every excuse under the sun not to pay you every clause every small print everything under the sun that they could find in order to avoid payment legally according to their terms and literally this is the reason why they have buildings full of lawyers and different people that uh, uh, until now weren't using ChatGTP to find uh, different flaws uh, in uh, people's mentality when they're reading the policy. 
On the other end, it's not just the insurance company that's a liar. You also have the doctors. The doctors are have become accustomed to lying, lying about the cost of what they do because they know that the insurance company is not going to pay them the full amount. So they figure we're going to lie about what the full amount is. And therefore, after the insurance company cuts our pay, we're going to actually get what we were supposed to. So in reality, it cost $5,000. we are going to build the insurance company $10,000. Completely ignoring the fact that this all affects the patient and his policy cost down the road. But needless to say, they're going to charge $10,000 to the insurance company. The insurance company is going to reject the claim and pay them $5,000 or $6,000, more or less what they really wanted. So you have the doctor is also a liar. And then last but not least, the patient is a liar. Why is the patient a liar? Because the patient usually does not want insurance until he needs it. He doesn't want to pay for the insurance until he needs it. He only wants to buy the policy after he's already sick. If he could buy the policy after he's dead, he would do that too. And unfortunately, this is a business of lies. And there are many businesses that are business of lies. And a person has to realize that even if the world that you are surrounded by is full of lies, it still does not give you the permission to lie. So with all of that being said, what if the lies are not coming from the places we just discussed, the places you would expect them from, but rather the lies are coming from the leadership and not just any leadership, rather the religious leadership i can't tell you the uh number of stories that i've heard over the years from different victims that uh went to different congregations communities and certainly other religions uh and uh, were more disappointed by the leaders than they were by the teaching itself meaning generally speaking anyone that learns the torah if they're really looking for the truth they're enamored by it, they're, they're enlightened by it, they love it. So how come there are so many people leaving religion? It has nothing to do with the religion, but rather the religious leaders or people that portray themselves as religious leaders. Uh, whether they are religious leaders in a community where they're overseeing the entire community or an individual uh, synagogue, lehavdil, a church, Uh, or they're overseeing a school or a class many times the problems that we all cry about have nothing to do with the religion itself in fact has nothing to do with the torah and has nothing to do with god but rather the people that portray that they are representing god and it's important for a person to always remember what we've been saying for the last decade jewish people are not always the best representatives of judaism This does not mean that we don't have righteous people. We have endless amount of righteous people and all of the righteous people among the nations do not equal to even a single one of our gdolim, but uh, you know, one of the the, the greatest of ours, of our, of our times. But the reality is, is that the average person is not going to encounter the biggest, most righteous tzaddikim that we have in our generation. The average person is going to deal with an average person that wants to lead sometimes is really good at leading sometimes is really bad at leading and perhaps really good at misleading and there was a story that just came out uh just a uh in the last uh, last week's lecture where i talked about a woman that uh uh was misled misled by the teachers 
that she was allowed to go to a, uh, a, a male therapist, uh, even though this was completely forbidden. And interestingly enough, another woman asked me a question about this issue because she said, yes, actually, I had the same exact situation where my rabbi told me 14 years ago that it's perfectly fine for me to go to a male psychiatrist. And 14 years later, after I watched your lecture, I asked him again, and he said a completely different answer. He says, no, you're not allowed to go. And she says, I've been relying on this opinion that he gave me for the last 14 years, jeopardizing my eternity, jeopardizing my marriage, jeopardizing my sanity, based on what he told me 14 years ago, and he just changed his mind. So, did he do it on purpose? I doubt it. But many times people don't realize that part of leadership is humility, meaning that you have to humble yourself every single time anybody asks you a question and ask yourself, do you really know the answer or do you want to know the answer? If you know the answer and you know where somebody can find the answer, then certainly you can answer the question. If you don't know the answer, then you can't answer the question even if you want to know the answer because you want to look good. You want people to use you as a source of information. The best thing you can do is simply tell people, I'll get back to you. Simple. Oh, but what? It's embarrassing to you that you don't know the answer right away? So be embarrassed. It's better to be embarrassed for a moment in this world than to have somebody make sins because of what you said to them for 14 years. So many times the leadership that a person is uh, acquiring or, or trying, to, uh, trying to have, trying to, uh, uh, you know, uh, I guess represent, does not necessarily prepare him for what it takes. In the last several weeks, we've been considering one of the horrible situations that's happened over the uh, last uh, several years that we've talked about, which is this whole uh, chief rabbi, uh, Ephraim uh, Mirvis from, uh, from England, we've discussed him extensively of how he's gone wrong in every single direction, whether it's promoting the LGBTQ types of teachings, which are completely forbidden according to the Torah, or it's the intermarriage uh, or interfaith, he likes to call it, uh, types of gatherings that he has, and all types of things that are completely the opposite of what Torah tradition is supposed to have. Now, over the last month, and I've mentioned it briefly, the uh, king of England, or became a king, uh, the prince became a king, and uh, there was an event where this uh, king invited all of the religious leaders whether it's a Christianity, which is his religion, or it's uh, Islam, or it's other religions. He also invited the Jewish religion. He invited Mirvis, which he has a relationship with, and uh, they apparently have known each other for nearly a decade now. Now, this whole event took place on Shabbat inside a church. According to everything we've known and everything we've taught over the last decade or so, entering a church is completely forbidden for a Jew. Needless to say, on Shabbat, 
needless to say, times a million if you are a religious leader that is going to be an example for people to follow. So we mentioned this briefly, but we thought that we're going to leave it at that until we saw that this Mirvis is not only proud of what he did, he has joint efforts with other criminals, other spiritual criminals we've discussed in the past, to show how proud he is. And in fact, get Chizuk and give Chizuk to the supporters by going on the podcast of Ephraim Goldberg. Now, Ephraim we've discussed many times as he invites the Christian missionaries to his synagogue already on multiple occasions. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another one on the calendar coming soon. But at the same token, we've discussed this already. Why mention this again? Why mention it again when the reality is the ones that saw the truth continue to see the truth with us and to continue learning with us the ones that jumped on the falsehood train of Ephraim Goldberg and Mirviz more or less stay there it divided us it didn't unite us although it did help some people that were in the middle didn't know which side and they certainly more or less have come and joined us rather than the other camp But this is not really about who's winning and who's losing. It's all about teaching the truth. So why bring this up again? We bring it up again because the Chazonish wants to talk about it. And in fact, one of the things that the Chazonish is going to teach us today is how to spot the criminal, how to spot the crooks that are misleading communities in the most awful ways and this is a lesson that each and every single one of us that if we could follow it we could write down some of the notes some of the halachas and sources that we're going to bring it's going to help you avoid a lot of anguish that unfortunately many times people deal with because they don't listen to the halacha and for those that are on the other side still thinking that Ephraim Goldberg and his new friend Ephraim Mervis are on the right, I highly recommend you watch, even if you dislike me or dislike anything that I've said in the past, because at the very least, you're going to have some sources that you can bring to those leaders of yours and ask them to answer, how do they address these sources? How do they address these questions? Because if you follow them, that means you're going to go wherever they go after this life is over. The Chazonis says the following, ומעצמו <laughs> ולהרבות הבות למלא כיסו, ובחלקות יחסי ערמו, משים עצמו, כתמים לא ידע מרמה, וכאילו כל דרכיו משרים, הולך תמים ודובר צדק. Translation. Great is the sin of the scoundrel, 
scoundrel for anyone who wants a better word crook imposter great is the sin of the crook who in his great effort to imitate a torah scholar in dress in speech movements so as to win the hearts of his townspeople causes them to trust him and believe in him and then uses this trust to spread falsehood to benefit himself doing many bad deeds in order to fill his own pockets and covering his deceitfulness with smooth talk presenting himself as innocent and incapable of deceit as if his ways are straight and his words truthful here the chazonish again does not sugarcoat whatsoever and in fact gives us a new name a new name for a new type of liar you have your everyday liar your everyday liar could be the your spouse your kids your your co-worker your boss your customer but then he says no no there's a different type of liar a liar that is more damaging than all other liars in fact this liar is a liar that sometimes doesn't even have to speak in order to mislead people David Melech says in Tehilim chapter 34 verse 14 that the um, guard your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit all lies are bad all uh, uh, lies are part of evil and David Melech is warning us not to have any association with lies but the Chazonish here is telling us that this crook is a crook that is harder to spot because he's imitating the Torah scholar how is he imitating him he'll dress the part he'll speak the part he'll even move the part where at times a person can especially in Israel where these things are of more significance of how people wear certain clothes the types of hats they wear there is a regular hat for an average person and then there is a dayan hat if you wear that hat people automatically assume that you're a dayan not for your average person and quite frankly when i first saw it i couldn't tell the difference i didn't understand the significance of it till this day i still don't see the significance of it why can't everybody just wear this hat but of course i understand the significance of it meaning that this is the hat of the big rabbis the dayanim no problem now sometimes a person that's not a dayan will get that hat and some people will foolishly believe that he's that sometimes they'll get the certain jacket that they wear and people will think oh he must be a Talmud Chacham some people even wear the fancier clothes that the major rabbis the rebbe's or the uh rishon Litzion, or all types of significant tzaddikim where in order to represent themselves as if they are just like them they see the big rabbis wearing certain types of clothes and they say okay well what's the difference what is it a hundred dollars five hundred dollars i have that money i'll just buy it not realizing that it's more than just the clothes Rav pinchas scheinberg alava shalom was known to wear 120 tzitziot at a time 
120 tzitziot. This is personal account from his Talmidim. They used to check his tzitziot every day. He would wear 120 tzitziot plus 30 talit gadol all at once. So much so that his own Talmidim say that his body, from the heat of all of these tzitziot, had burn marks on it. Literally, his body had burn marks on it. One time he had to go to a doctor and uh, the doctor asked him to get undressed for him to be checked. And the doctor left the office to come back only to see somebody that was literally a third of the size. Like, where did he go? Why? Because with the tzitziot, 120 of them, plus the taliot, he looked like a very big man. After he took everything off, he's a skinny little person. Where'd he go? Now, when his students asked him, aren't you hot? He said to them, if you're hot here, you'll be cold up there. It's cooler up there, meaning you won't be hot in Gainom. Now, when someone said, okay, I want to take this on. I want to put on many tzitziot. Of Scheinberg forbid him. He says, no. Don't take this on. Why? Because you're only taking it on because I'm doing it. That makes you a faker. That makes you a crook. That makes you an imposter. And that cannot be. Some people wanted to take this on wearing many tzitziot because, of course, it's a easy to be an imposter of the exterior. Many times people want to present themselves as if they're big tzaddikim, and unfortunately, many times this is something that newly religious people do. They just became religious, but they want to grow long peyote and a long beard and wear a certain clothing and wear the tzitzit in a certain way and a talit a certain way. The reality is they barely know how to pray. They barely know which siman in the Shulchan Aruch speaks about which topic. If you tell them, have you completed the shas, they're not even sure if you're talking about dinner or if you're talking about something that you spoke about in the shiul. They don't know much, but exterior-wise, they look perfect, they look like a rabbi. And many times people want to look the part. Chazoni says, this is one of those places you shouldn't do it. Certainly you should look religious, but look like who you are and what you are. Anytime people have asked me when they, whether they should grow a beard or not, usually if you're asking the question, that means you're not ready for it yet because you're relatively new. But aside from that, I always recommend for people to not grow a long beard or grow long peyote or do anything exterior that's too big for you early on. With Early on means not the first few months. Early on means the first few years. Because what happens is that, you know, the, the beard grows for free. And you don't even have to feed it. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And then sometimes, you know, as a person does their tshuva, a person goes through conversion, a person gets closer to Hashem, they also have, you know, different uh, rises and falls. They have a yetzara. And what ends up happening with the yetzara is that sometimes the yetzara says, listen, 
It's okay to keep Shabbat. It's okay to keep kosher. It's okay to learn Torah. Everything is okay, but why do you have to look that way? And Yetzirah will try to convince the person to change their exterior look. And since the person knows, well, I'm not obligated to have a beard, so I can shave it. What's the big deal? What they don't realize is that the Yetzirah got you by that little hook. Why? Because the moment you take off that beard, automatically several things happen. Number one, everyone around you will think that you fell back to your old ways. You can tell them all you want, that you're still keeping Shabbat, you're still keeping kosher, you're still a kosher person. Five out of ten people are not going to believe you. Why? Why'd you change then? Why'd you take off the beard then? Number two, you yourself feel less religious. Why? Because you, f- you don't feel necessarily that responsibility. I had one time this guy tell me, listen, Rabbi, I've been keeping Shabbat already for a couple of years, but I still don't think I'm ready for, uh, for a kippah, to put a kippah on. I said, uh, what do you mean you need to be ready? What's ready? Just take a kippah, put it on your head. It does everything by itself. You don't have to even program it. You don't have to connect it to a computer. It doesn't need a battery. Just put the kippah on your head. It floats over there. Perfect. If you want, I'll send you one for free. Nice, big one covers your whole skull. And he said, no, 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 it's not that. It's that, you know, still I have problems with sometimes I look where I shouldn't look. I go where I shouldn't go. So if I wear a kippah, then it's like Chilul Hashem that I do it. So it's better that I don't wear a kippah. I told him, my dear friend, whether everyone sees you sinning with a kippah or they see you sinning with a hat or they see you sinning completely bald, guess what? It's still Chilul Hashem. It's still desecrating God's name. In fact, even if you sin alone in your house, it's Chilul Hashem. All sins have a degree of Chilul Hashem on it. So thinking that just because you're not wearing a kippah, it's Chilul Hashem, no, no. Silly. Put a kippah on. Now, a person needs to know that it's important to look the part. But it's also important not to overkill, not to do too much. Where you look much more than you are. I one time went to a uh, synagogue and uh, I had, uh, you know, I had some Talmudim with me. And uh, the rabbi you know, was of the shul, didn't know us or anything. Uh, and uh, he uh, was looking for somebody to uh, pick up the, uh, take out the Sefer Torah, to open up the Echal, you know, different people. And he immediately went to the guy that looked more religious than everybody else. The guy had long peyote, nice beard, nice big keeper, everything good. And the rabbi took, hey, you, come on, go ahead, yeah, yeah. Why, he was very happy, Sephardi Keilah, having a Hasidish guy in there. You know, the guy looked Hasidish. Little did he know, the guy wasn't even Jewish yet. He ended up converting Baruch Hashem later on, but he wasn't even Jewish yet. He looked very religious. He was very religious, but he wasn't Jewish yet. Had the rabbi known, he probably wouldn't have given him that job. The point being is that looks can be deceiving. And it's very important for a person to know that people will judge you based on how you look. And you don't want them to think that you are more than what you are because that is a form of lying. Many times, the biggest crooks represent themselves by their exterior, where they will wear 
a, either a certain position or certain clothing or both in order to give some type of public image either a public image that they're all-knowing public image that they're very holy public image that they are all accepting and they love everyone now the crook does a very good job at that he makes people think that he loves everyone he makes people think that he's friends with everyone so how do you know who he's not friends with and who he doesn't love simple the moment somebody disagrees with what he says you'll see the horns come out now speech is even more dangerous than appearance because there are many people that look like average joes look like average people but yet when they start speaking they can manipulate people and the torah calls them a slick tongue people these people have the gift of gab either they're very good speakers or they simply know how to manipulate words in such a fashion that your average person will believe them this we've seen many times with the wicked manis friedman and his friends and they know how to speak and it's not even necessarily that they're so entertaining but rather that whatever they're saying is believable and unless a person is going to double check every word that they said and invest time into checking they're simply going to take whatever they said to the bank and that bank is not going to lead them anywhere good so these speeches are certainly one of the key tools that the scoundrel the crook the imposter uses often and even movements it was well known that Rabbi Yosef anytime he was fond of someone he would give him a little slap on the cheek he would call it this is the slap that builds it gives people confidence that he cares for them and so on and of course there are always going to be imposters that think that they are a little rabbi ovadian every time they see people they give them a trach on the face not from the same place and not from the same intention but rather as in essence trying to emulate the behavior of the gdolim the behavior of the big sages why do they do all of this why do they dress this way why do they speak this way why do they move this way says the chazonish so as to win the hearts of his townspeople causing them to trust him to believe in him and then use this trust to spread falsehood to benefit himself so although that part is a given anytime somebody misleads it's for their personal benefit but the way that the crooks work is sort of like a long-term investor usually they're not looking for a overnight success usually they're very patient people and they wait for their opportunities carefully patiently as if time is in their favor but if you follow their behavior close enough you'll see that this was all literally one big master plan the bigger the crook usually the more clever they are they're usually not stupid in fact 
They're usually very smart people. But smart intellect, IQ, don't necessarily mean a person is going to be good and use it for good. So these crooks that the Chazonish is talking about have this great plan to dress a certain way, to speak a certain way, to move a certain way, in order to entice people to like them, to follow them, to listen to them, to share their stories, to share their books, certainly to support them financially. But it works in such a seamless way, most victims don't even know it's happening. They then move on and start doing many bad deeds in order to fill their own pockets. Meaning after they've acquired the trust of a certain group of people, they start opening up these windows of opportunities they've been waiting for. They start creating different opportunities for themselves, things that are against the Torah, things that are certainly not for the benefit of the public. And as the Gemara in Masechet Sota, at the end of the Masechet, page 49b, says that at the end of days, before Mashiach comes, the leaders are going to be a source of the problem in many cases. Not all leaders, of course, but many leaders are going to lead against the interest of their own people, which is the opposite of what it's supposed to be. You are a leader because people trust you to lead them in the right direction for their benefit, for the common benefit. But the sages teach us in the Gemara that before Mashiach comes, the leadership will do the opposite of what it's designed to do, the opposite of what it's elected to do, the opposite of what it's chosen to do, the opposite of what it should rationally do. Rather, the leadership will simply look out for itself. Now, I don't have to show you examples of how this is happening in politics. They're already doing the job themselves. But when it comes to the religious leadership in the Jewish world, unfortunately, what the uh, great sage from 80 years ago, Rav Elchanan Vassaman, wrote in his Ikveta de Meshicha, which we did a whole series on of 40 lectures, highly recommended for people to, uh, to uh, watch, Everything he said didn't only just come true in his generation. It's come true in our generation. And in fact, many of those rotten fruits are creating new fruits. Now, the Chazunish tells us that these people will do things in order to fill their pockets. But many times the way they fill their pockets is not the normal way. They don't necessarily ask people, send me millions of dollars like the Christians do. You know, the Christians have this whole thing of how they command their people to give them a plane that's worth 10, 20, 50, 100 million dollars. And somehow the people foolishly listen. They command their people to give them 10% of whatever they make or else they're exercised from the, from the community. They're frowned upon. There was a, 
somebody wrote an article years ago saying that his friend the pastor admittedly was uh disappointed in his community that two percent of them were not giving their ten percent two percent meaning 98 percent of the community of hundreds and hundreds of people were giving 10 percent of their salary and he was still disappointed if our synagogues were funded with 98% maaser, we would literally have five batemigdash, not one. But here we see that, of course, it's because the evil inclination when it comes to funding Torah is much greater than the, uh, than the evil inclination to fund idolatry. The evil inclination wants you to fund idolatry, hence the reason why there are so many of them, so many big churches, so much money going in there. But the point being is that when the when the other places the other religions the other belief systems misguide and mislead their communities no jew in the world is surprised by it they've been doing it for ages whether it's the the, the pedophilia or the raping or the all of the other uh uh types of uh scandals that were, one was recently uh, uncovered by the news where they said there was a certain pastor uh took his own community's money and simply stole it as a ponzi scheme like why would you have your pastor become your investor investment manager i have no idea how somebody rationalized such a thing but needless to say this happened and this is not the first or the last story of such many people uh hated the fact that many of these uh big churches were led by people that were very very wealthy to the point of, of of obnoxious wealth multiple planes fleet of planes and boats and all types of things while some people in the community barely had something to eat but this is not a surprise to jewish people what is a surprise to jewish people is when we see our leaders however big or small whichever one they are outright lie to the community outright lied to people without thinking twice about it when we started bringing up some of these several years ago where we spoke about whether it was Manus Friedman or Ephraim Goldberg or any of the other number of uh, uh, spiritual criminals many people had the reflex to reject this they didn't want to hear it it's not possible he's a big rabbi he's famous he has a big community how could he be saying what you're saying he's saying how could he be doing what you're saying he's doing they didn't want to believe that this was happening and in fact until this day many people don't want to believe that what we're saying is happening is happening even though there's endless proofs of it a few years ago we warned people about safaria only recently did people start listening but it's already several years into the the making several years ago we brought many different things but most people simply did not want to hear that a popular religious leader in a jewish world is doing evil so immediately it was rejected in fact in some cases it was rejected by most now what we did was not new all of the great sages that we 
try to walk in their footsteps. Maybe be just literally the dust under their feet. Did the same thing. Sometimes in speeches, like Rav Shach, Allah Shalom, did often. And Rav Ovadia, Allah Shalom, as well. But more often in writing. More often in a place, a world where this is going to be brought out to the scholars. And the scholars had the job of publicizing it to their communities. Now, this is something that goes as back, as far back as the beginning. The Chazonish is trying to give us the insight that crooks are nothing new in the Jewish world. Crooks exist. We can't use they were a crook as an excuse of why we went wrong. Because here he's giving us a map, an instruction set of how to spot them. First and foremost, he's telling you that the crook is not going to look like a crook. He's going to look like Esav. Akol kol Yaakov Esav. The voice is the voice of Yaakov, but the hands are the hands of Esav, says the Torah. Where he's going to look like a tzaddik, sound like a tzaddik, sound good, look good, sound like he wants your best interest, sounds like he's knowledgeable. But the truth, it will be the opposite. So the first thing you need to know is don't look at the exterior. Because that's not going to help you. In fact, it will mislead you more often than not. Two, what he says, as far as the words he uses, is not as important as what the message implies and what he's basing this on. Because their goal is to gain people's trust, so typically they will speak in a fashion that is constantly looking for you to trust me. Trust this, I know, even if I don't provide a source, even if there is no source, you can just simply rely on what's called dat yachid, an opinion of one. Over the last several years, we've been fighting this Manus Friedman and his plague that he's brought into our nation, telling people that one of the ways that he justifies that there is no reward and punishment that is like what the sages teach, that is like the 13 principles of fate, but rather a warning punishment that he invented out of his small mind, is because God needs you. Meaning, he outright says that no Jew will be punished by God, regardless of what they did, because we've been in the exile for the last 2,000 years. And one of the ways that he qualifies this is because he has concluded that God needs you. Now, we have brought endless amount of sources of why this is completely heretical to say, heretical to think, and in fact, the Gemara mentions in Masechet Kedushim that the sins that a person makes certainly will be punished. The sins that a person thinks about, he won't be punished unless it's idolatry. If you think about idolatry, that's a punishable sin. Thinking about idolatry is punishable. 
Whereas everything else, if you think about it, it's not, it's not punishable. Only if you do it. See, here this guy is telling us all types of idolatrous statements that God needs you. And we've brought endless amount of sources of why this is literally the opposite of Torah. It's wrong according to all opinions. But they continue fighting on with all of this. And he even has some new help from other rabbis, from other students of his that say this is the truth. Now, anyone that's been following my lectures can probably count the number of sources that we brought over the years, and it's certainly many. If I had to estimate, it's no less than 50, possibly even more than 100 sources that we've brought of why this is completely, completely forbidden to think that God needs you. And any time somebody has mentioned it throughout the generations, they've explained what that means and it certainly never means what he says and what his followers say regardless of whether they are rabbis in the yeshiva in israel or they are some rabbi that's in boca raton or in new york or wherever they are no one can provide an actual source and that's what we've said all along now you would think that if it was so simple to prove their point since they're writing books about it, since they're preaching it in practically every single video, every lecture, you would think they would give you literally a source list that's no different than your to-do list for tomorrow to start off the week. They would give you source after source after source after source after source of different great sages that believe that God needs you. But until this day, not a single source has been brought by any rabbi. And any sources that were brought by them are not understood the way they brought them by anybody else other than them. Meaning they manipulated the speech, manipulated the language. No one says God needs you. They understand it that way, but that doesn't make it a source. That just simply means you don't know how to learn. Or you don't know how to understand this particular uh, source or you're simply looking so hard for something you've simply invented it just like the christians they're looking so hard for yoshke in the torah that they simply invent him in different places in the torah they invent him in isaiah 53 they invent him in daniel 9 they even invent him in bereshit they invent him everywhere why because they're looking so hard for this lie they can't find so they want to they don't want to disappoint anyone they simply invent it so these people have invented this God needs you thing. Now, unfortunately, they have followers. They have financial support. They have people believing them, but they don't have sources. And if it was so simple and it was so fundamental, then how come it's so hard to find a source? And even more so, how come Manus Friedman himself recently said publicly for the first time when he was interviewed by his Talmud. Is it possible that what you're saying is a dat yachid? Meaning, is it possible that what you're saying is the opinion of one? Meaning, this is only your opinion? And he says, yes, it's very much possible that this is only my opinion. 
which in itself proves every single thing we've said about this since the beginning. Because here he's outright telling you he doesn't have a source. He's the only source. And by the law of the Torah, that makes it not valid. Why? We don't follow Da'at Yechid. We don't follow the opinion of one. There's no such thing as following the opinion of one. There are rules to interpreting the Torah, understanding the Torah. And if your opinion, regardless of whether it's an opinion about an halacha or even a midrash, it cannot be Da'at Yechid. So the average person that doesn't know this stuff won't clock this, won't see this, won't understand the significance of this. And one of the biggest reasons is because the crooks know how to present their lies in the best possible way. They put lipstick on it, they put them with bow ties, they put them in a nice suit, and the lie looks pretty. So pretty, you want it, you like it. It's like that article that they wrote on the Chabad website years ago about Gehenna. It was There were so many lies in that article that when I read it for the first time, I wrote to them, I want to go there. I want to go to that Gehenna that you tell that you wrote about because the Gehenna that I know about, the Gehenna that all the sages talk about, has nothing to do with this. Whatever you're writing, I want to go there. Hopefully my Gan Eden is like that. They removed my comments and stopped responding to my emails after that. So, the lies, unfortunately, have customers. The Chazunish says the following. He says that the covering of the deceitfulness with smooth talk, presenting themselves as innocent and incapable of deceit, as if his ways are straight and his words are truthful. This is the one part that simply struck a nerve of some kind, turned on a bulb in my mind when I read this, that it had to be brought up again about Mervis and Ephraim and all of these other things again. Because the one thing that always boggles my mind is how these people... Not only lying, I've seen a lot of liars. I was on Wall Street for almost 20 years. Unfortunately, liar, lying is uh, almost like a second language or even a first language for some people there. So lying was not necessarily something new to me. I don't think lying is new to anybody. But when you're in a money business, unfortunately, lying is a common thing. I remember years ago when somebody told me that um, I was wasting my license's lifetime because I'm not lying to my customers and cheating them. I made my first million dollars. I'm 23 years old, I think, 22 years old. And apparently some people found out. One guy that I knew from, uh, from the business called me up Ask some questions, who, how, when, hey, all the details of how did you do this. People like to know so they can copy it, do it. 
And when I started giving them the, 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 the numbers, back then I was stupid enough to actually disclose stuff like that. And he was shocked. Not shocked at the fact that I made a million dollars. He's shocked that I didn't make $10 million. I told him, why? Why do you think I should make so much more? I have this amount. I'm, I'm investing. We made. What, what's the problem? He says, no, you can do this, 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 and the other thing, and you can make 10 times more. I told him, yeah, but that would bankrupt my customers. Because, so what? Get new ones. I said, no, I don't want to ruin my customer. I don't want to cheat them. And his response was a response I'm never going to forget. He says, you're wasting your license's lifetime. As if the license was a license to steal from people. And Hashem is my witness. Throughout nearly two decades of being on Wall Street, I never stole even a penny. Of course, you could be accused of everything. But actual reality, Hashem knows. Now, the lies... I've always hated lies. But what's more disgusting than lies is when a person pretends like you're crazy for calling him a liar. You're insane. You're fanatic. You are, something's wrong with you to even question him that he's a liar. Me, a liar? Are you insane? How could they even say such things? And sometimes they do all the talking behind the scenes. Do all the craziness behind the scenes. But in the public image, they pretend like as if this doesn't touch anything. This is completely irrelevant. That drives me crazy. Because literally you're seeing this master liar at work and there's nothing you can do about it because the average person, it's very easy to believe them. Hence the reason why Anytime you're in the world of Torah, you need to have several things. Number one, patience. Number two, you have to have Torah knowledge. Because if you have Torah knowledge, you will have the truth no matter what anybody else in the world says. Because what's in the Torah, that's the truth. It doesn't make a difference if 500 people say it's not the truth. You have the truth. In order for you to know that you have the truth, you can't just interpret it by yourself. You have to have friends. What's friends? The sages, your rabbi, Talmidei Chachamim, Torah scholars. You have to have friends. You have to have people that will tell you this is the truth, this is the falsehood. Regardless of which side you're on. This is the truth, this is falsehood. Now, when people see the falsehood that's out there, they don't realize the type of damage that it causes. Years ago, there was a two major companies selling milk, kosher milk, in the States. And one day, it was publicized that Rav Moshe Feinstein was against one of them, doesn't trust their kashrut. Automatically, the Jewish world practically banned this company. Nobody wanted to buy their milk. They started putting posters everywhere. Rav Moshe Feinstein, the Gdola Dov, doesn't trust their kashrut. Now, this immediately affected their sales. So much so 
that the owners of the company made it their priority to go and meet Rav Moshe Feinstein and ask him why, what did we do? They went to the Rav. They said, Kvod Rav, what did we do that you don't trust our kashrut? Rav Moshe Feinstein looks at him and says, I never said I don't trust your kashrut. He said, no, no, Kvod Rav, what do you mean? It's everywhere. It's, it's posters. People are talking about it. Nobody wants to buy our milk. Rav Moshe Feinstein says, it didn't come for me. I never said anything about your kashrut. I have no problem with your kashrut. Go and check where the source is and you'll see it's not me. They went and checked. And what did they find out? A Talmid Shoteh, some crazy guy, decided to take the truth into his own hands. After he saw Ramosha Feinstein take a small break from his learning, go to the area where the coffee was. And he is, you know, he's looking like a sniper in the background. What does the rabbi drink? How does he drink? Okay, that's not necessarily a problem until you do what he did. Moshe Feinstein pours himself a coffee, picks up one of the milk cartons of company A. After he picks it up, he puts it down. And then he takes the milk carton of company B and he pours that one. And there is the difference. Oh, Rav Moshe Feinstein picked up carton A. He doesn't, he doesn't trust them. He doesn't trust them. That's why he put it down. And he publicizes to everybody. Made it a big thing that Rav Moshe Feinstein does not trust this company. They came back to Rav Moshe Feinstein and said, this is what happened. Why did you do that for the Rav? Everybody's saying that that's what you did. Rav Moshe Feinstein laughed. He says to them, the carton was out of milk. I needed coffee. I wanted to get the first carton. I picked it up. As soon as I picked it up, it was empty. I put it down. I got the next one. That's it. Never, not, nothing that, all of the other stuff is made up. By who? A guy that decided that he has his own opinion. That he decided the opinion. He wanted the opinion. And unfortunately, this happens often most of the time in small small families small communities one person is going to a difficult time and you get a phone call from somebody that's not exactly the most trustworthy person not exactly the most decent person but that person is part of the problem and they tell you listen you know i'm not the problem they're the problem they're mean and they're this and they're that and they're this and they're telling you a whole bunch of lashonara. now until now you thought that this person is a reliable person decent person nice person but now you heard a bunch of lashonara. not only lashonara, but lashonara from an unreliable person and guess what you did you believed them and you know what happened then you just created an angel big enough to destroy your entire city not only have your mind become the enemy of torah by allowing this to happen but certainly if you take any action by saying you know what i'm not going to talk to this person anymore i'm not going to do business with this person anymore 
I'm not going to help this person anymore. I'm not going to invite this person anymore. Guess what? You're inventing new angels of destruction. New angels of destruction are literally everywhere. Why? You believed Lashonara. You believed information that is forbidden. Especially coming from the source that it came. Why? You decided. You decided that you know enough to decide what's right and wrong. Instead of looking at the books, instead of looking for the rabbis, instead of looking for the truth. Why? Because usually the liars, the crooks, the imposters know how to touch your emotions, know how to get you to feel bad for them, sensitive, know how to get you to really empathize with them. They're the victim. Uh, Moshe Feinstein knew the truth and it wasn't very difficult for him to show it. Unfortunately, we're not the same. So we need to wait for the opinions of Moshe Feinstein, for the opinions of the great sages. And Baruch Hashem, we got them. Bedin in Lakewood came out with an article a few weeks ago. It was a two-part article. Paskening an halacha in so many words that already exists, but in so many words, clarifying that it applies here. This betavad, led by Rav David Grossman, as Paskin Allah on multiple things that have been relevant, but here, I don't know if any of you are familiar with them, and if you're not, you should be, because they brought in something to light that should have really been standard knowledge for the world of Jewry. Whether you're in America or you are abroad, this is all standard Torah that unfortunately has become part of the lost and found. The question is, may one go into a foreign house of worship addressing the question of whether Rabbi Ephraim Mirvis, the chief rabbi of the UK and the Commonwealth, some 52 countries, whether he violated the Torah by going to this event going to the event that is the coronation of king charles the third whether he has any permission to do so because according to him he does that's why he went in fact on the podcast by ephraim goldberg from boca raton he was proud to clarify that he was allowed to observe Shabbat and there's no problem of him going there. And Ephraim Goldberg apparently agreed with him because not only did he highlight this on his show and to his people and his community, but he even said that this is something that's bringing us together. Of course, there had been a precedent because in 1902, 
Chief Rabbi Herman Adler walked from a synagogue to Westminster Abbey on a Shabbos for the coronation of King Edward VII. That was the last time that a coronation had been held on Shabbat. And of course, for us, uh, there are issues in halakha relating to attendance at a church service. And of course, how Shabbostic was this particular experience. But certainly, our Beitin and I had gone into the matter in great detail when there is an invitation from the Melech himself to attend. And very interestingly, you, if you look at the actual girsa of the invitation, it's King Charles III commands, and then your name, to attend. Wow. So when you have an actual tzivoy of the Melech, that's something which we accept. And in Halakha, it's important, Mishom Eva, that one should be present. Uh, and also on Shabbat, it was important that I be present. And as you mentioned, they respected our Shabbat regulations in a most extraordinary way. It really is. It really is incredible. And it is reinforcing for people who keep Shabbos and are inspiring others. Yet, Charles at the time said, I will break off my holiday and I will come back to London for a day wow. for the uh, synagogue service. It was the very first time that a member of the royal family attended a shul service for the installation of a chief rabbi. And from that moment onwards, we established a, a very close rapport. Um, I visited Israel twice with him. Once was uh, when he went to the funeral of Shimon Peres, and the other, which was more significant, was a visit in its own right. Uh, when uh, he came on the 27th of January 2020 for the 75th anniversary uh, of uh, the liberation of Auschwitz, and uh, I accompanied him on various uh, very significant visits within Yerushalayim on that occasion. Um, and I've got to know him enormously well. You asked about his character. Yes, there's great warmth. Uh, and by the way, uh, Camilla as well, both of them show enormous warmth. And uh, we've had some very special and precious moments together. And uh, literally just three days before the coronation, my wife and I were guests of the King and Queen at their garden party in Buckingham Palace, where we, we had great conversations in anticipation of the coronation and um, but it's not special relating to me myself it's the way he relates to all people and the way in which he wants to genuinely be the defender of all faith so this is what dayan yitzhak grossman says article originally uh published on may 18th 2023 according to the gregorian calendar starts with the following cnn reports Britain's chief rabbi, Ephraim Mirvis, will walk to King Charles III's coronation in keeping with Sabbath laws. <coughs> the king and queen are being exceptionally gracious in order to make it possible for me to walk to Westminster Abbey on our Shabbat because we don't go in vehicles, he told CNN. So they have invited us to be their guest in St. James Palace over the Shabbat. Mervis's role in a ceremony marks the first time that faith leaders from all of Britain's major religions will be included in the coronation, which has traditionally been solely Christian service. While the Archbishop of Canterbury will conduct a ceremony and anoint Charles with holy oil, holy oil of idolatry, I should add, 
The chief rabbi said that he will be part of the procession entering Westminster Abbey and will give the newly crowned king a blessing. After the religious service is over, I, together with four other faith leaders, will be forming a line. The king will stand in front of us and we will give him a blessing and greeting, says Ephraim Mirvis. The announcement of the chief rabbi would be entering Westminster Abbey and Anglican Church aroused indignation online. A year ago, he attended a prayer service at St. Paul's Cathedral in London in honor of Queen Elizabeth II's 70th anniversary on the throne. The former chief rabbi Emmanuel Jacobitz, who served from 1967 to 1991, described his own practices as follows. After consultation with the London Bedin, my own practice is occasionally to attend church services on royal and state occasions to represent the Jewish community, but I never actively participate, nor do I wear a cap and gown. And I find that my Christian hosts usually show understanding and respect for this attitude and its reservations. Elsewhere, he said, my attitude invariably is that I cannot take an active part in a religious service of any except my own faith. And this is always understood and respected. So here we see that first and foremost, CNN reports Ephraim Ervis is proud of this. He's publicizing it himself. He publicized it on Twitter. He went on different networks. He was as proud of his involvement in this Christian coronation of the king as if it's coronation of the Mashiach. He is publicizing it as if this is good for the Jewish people, as if this is necessary. He even had a short video saying, a Orthodox rabbi going to a church on a Sabbath, as if there's nothing wrong with it. Now, one of the things he uses is the fact that the previous rabbis were part of this also. They did something like this in the past, but really... The previous rabbi says, although he did go at times, he was not part of the same thing of what Ephraim Vervis was doing. He wasn't part of the religious ceremony. He wasn't uh, uh, wearing a uh, cap or a gown. So it's not exactly the same. Furthermore, the Dayan Yitzhak Grossman brings... Another example from America. A day after President Obama's inauguration, a national prayer service was held at the National Cathedral in Washington. As JTA reported at the time, the Modern Orthodox Rabbinical Association says a prominent member violated its rules by participating in the national prayer service. The RCA, known as the uh, Rabbinical Council of America official told the JTA that Rabbi Haskell Lukstein, the religious leader of Congregation Keilat Yerushun in New York City, broke the organization's rules by participating in a service Wednesday at the National Cathedral on the morning after Barack Obama's inauguration. The RC says in a statement, the Rabbinical Council of America has a long-standing policy that in accordance of Jewish law, that participation 
in a prayer service held in a sanctuary of a church is prohibited. The RCA says that Luxtein's participation was problematic both because the service was held in a sanctuary of a church, which Orthodox Jews are prohibited from entering, and because it was an interfaith prayer service, which the RCA discourages. See, here we already see that this is not a new rule by any stretch of the imagination. Jews attending a church is simply prohibited. Everyone knows this, even people that are not religious. Apparently, even Ephraim Milvis knows this, but he justifies it. Because he says, but it was the king coronation. I had to represent the Jewish people. He invited me. And in fact, in a recent podcast with Ephraim, he says, I even have uh, an invitation from the king directly, as if to imply that the king commanded him to come. We'll deal with that in a moment. Now, Ephraim Mirvis knows. Ephraim Goldberg also knows. How does he know? Because the RCA is the rabbinical council that he is a key member of. He's not just some nobody in the organization. They know who he is. Apparently some people say he may even be the leader of it one day. And they have a long-standing policy that this is prohibited. It's prohibited for a Jew to go to a church needless to say for a rabbi needless to say times a million a chief rabbi but yet he has no problem highlighting that this chief rabbi did exactly what his own rabbinical council of america has a policy against we see here that perhaps he's a member of the rabbinical council but he has a different set of rules if it's going to get some views on the internet Let's continue. The Rambam writes in his Pirush on the Mishnayot, this is in the Pirush on Avodah Zarah, chapter 1, Alcha number 4. That regarding the house of idol worship, that it's virtually prohibited for us to see it and Kalvachomer to enter it. And the Shulchan Aruch. Also paskins, that it's a mitzvah to distance oneself four amot, which is six to eight feet from the path of idolatry. This is Shulchan Aruch, Yoreh De'ah, chapter uh, Siman 149, Alcha number one. So here are some of the sources that the Bet Din is bringing. So far we have a couple. We have the Rambam, we have Shulchan Aruch. You don't really need more than that, but let's go further. We have a Gemara in Masechet Avodah Zarah that talks about how the sages discuss staying away from a place of idolatry. But what is the actual psak alakha of actually entering it? Not, not being next to it, entering it. In Yabiya Omer, second volume, Yore De'a, Siman 2. Ravadia brings the psak by Rabbi Chaim Palaji, who was a chief, one of the Doyador in Turkey was asked about an incident. This is again continuing what the Bed-Din of Rav Yitzchak Grossman brought in Lakewood. This is what they're writing. This is in a second article, May 25th. The Psak of Rabbi Chaim Palachi in Turkey 
was after he was asked about an incident in which several Jews had accompanied a high-ranking government official into a non-Jewish house of worship on their holiday. And Rabbi Chaim Palaji rules that entering a house of foreign worship is unequivocally prohibited and that this applies even today. And he also says that violators have to undergo a penance, meaning do tshuva, including immersion in a mikveh, flogging, and a donation of the garments in which they had entered the place to the poor in order to achieve atonement. Meaning, for entering a place of idolatry, needless to say, if they had to be part of the service like Mervis was, they had to flog themselves, go in a mikveh, donate money, donate their clothes to poor people. Why? They entered the place. Now you think, oh yeah, but he's a... One posek. More. We have Rambam also. We have the Shukhan too. But that's more. Rabbi Eliezer Daish of Hungary was asked about a similar incident in which several Jews had attended a memorial service for a government official in a non-Jewish house of worship and removed their hats as is the custom among them. And Rabbi Eliezer rules that they had sinned doubly Entering a foreign house of worship is forbidden as an act associated with idolatry. The term is This is like the uh, uh, act right before actual idol worship. And also included in the prohibition against following the traditions of the non-Jews, the Chukot Goim. And he goes so far as to express uncertainty about whether entering such a place would be permitted even if life was on at stake. And he concludes similarly to Rabbi uh, Chaim Palaji that they have to do a great atonement. See here Rabbi Eliezer Daich is telling us that it's so bad for a Jew to even put himself in a situation to enter a church that he is doubtful of whether a Jew is allowed to enter a church even if his life is on the line. Meaning, there's a bunch of people that are chasing to kill you. Usually, there's, this is not hard to find throughout history. A lot of people have been trying to kill Jews throughout history. So, people are trying to kill you. You have multiple options. Everyone knows if you have a mosque as an option and a church as an option, you go to the mosque. But the chidush that Rav Daich is saying is that what if you only have the church as an option? Go hide in the church or die. He says, I'm not sure if you're allowed to go to church. Meaning, it's possibly better for you to die than to go into the church. Needless to say, go there electively like Mirvis did. Rav Yosef, Allah Shalom, and Yabiyah Omer, Siman 11, Ot 8. When he was in the Egypt, in the Egypt rabbinate, he was once asked by the government-appointed chief rabbi of Egypt, who was a wicked person, so wicked that he didn't put on tefillin. Ravadya writes this. He says that this guy was the faker of all fakers. He is a uh, didn't put on tefillin. How do they know he didn't put on tefillin? 
because every day he would come to shul and he would take his bag go into his office by himself and then come back as if he putting on to fill by himself one time one of the people in the community that one you know wanted to make a uh, prove this to people he took out his tefillin before he came in before the rabbi came in and he replaced him with two onions so when the rabbi came in he took the bag it was the same weight so he wouldn't notice same weight he went inside and sure while later he came outside as if he put on tefillin from that point on everyone knew he doesn't put on tefillin so this wicked guy once put the situation to put the pressure on Ravavadya. What was the situation? He says that he wanted Ravavadya to represent him at a funeral of a Christian diplomat that would take place in a church and include prayer by the priests. And he asserted that this is a matter of maintaining good relations with the non-Jews, Shalom, and therefore it's a custom of many rabbis to do so, and therefore you have to do this. Bravavadya responds, and he actually wrote this as a tshuva in Yabiya Omer, and he says the follows It's prohibited to enter their churches, even if there is a concern for the shalom, for peace. Even if there's a, uh, there's a concern for that. When there is only an interest in befriending them and finding favor in their eyes and all the more so since their custom is to offer incense at that time to idolatry and they cry out in prayer but are not answered in their prayers and a fortuary for a rav in Klad israel to go with the entourage of the office of the rabbinate with his official garb and rabbinic attire which certainly entails a desecration of Hashem's name, Chas v'shalom. And one must resort to all means and efforts to abolish this evil minhag, to abolish this evil custom, which comprises the same letters as Gehenim. That's the words of Rabbi Yosef. He says, not only is he not going, whoever you're saying is doing this for the sake of peace as part of the custom, it's an evil custom you have to erase it you have to eliminate it and just as a hint from heaven that you have to eliminate it it has this custom has the same letters as Gehenim furthermore Rav Grossman brings Rabbi Eliezer Yehuda Waldenberg in Eretz Israel was asked about the permissibility of entering a church for the purpose of viewing art not going to a prayer service not a coronation of a king simply to look at the art they want to go see i don't know michelangelo on the wall or something he responded that it's strictly forbidden for a jew to enter a church and he extends the prohibition against entering places of idolatry even to mosques per the ruling of the run who in fact says the muslims uh He paskin that they're idolaters. We, well, Rav Vadya disagreed with this. He says that uh, we go by the uh, Shuchan Aruch and the, the, uh, the Rambam. But the point being is, is that Rabbi Eliezer Waldenberg said that uh, going into a uh, church, even to view art, completely forbidden. 
And according to some opinions, even to go into a mosque is forbidden. So here we see, and there's other sources that he brings, but here we see, in so many words, the Beddin, a Beddin of Talmidei Chachamim. I remember when I spoke to one of their rabbis, probably about a year ago, two years ago, they were trying to uh, build furthermore because they want more Talmidim. They're saying that in the U.S. there's only about 100 Dayanim, which is awful compared to the size of the population. Should be many, many more. But we see here, one of the reasons of why you need more Dayanim, why you need more Talmidei Chachamim, why you need more Talmidei Chachamim that are not scared to tell the truth. Because here you see that it's clear halacha, according to the Rambam, according to Shuchan Aruch, according to Rav Ovadia, according to uh, Rav Eliezer, according to Rav Waldenberg, I mean, literally, it's across the board. You're not going to find anybody who says, yeah, yeah, go to church. It's okay. It's perfectly fine. Go, yeah, have a good time. I'm going to come with you. Nobody's going to say that. You're not going to find that source. It doesn't exist. But yet you have two so-called Dayanim. One is the chief Dayan of the UK, Ephraim Mirvis. One is the Dayan in Florida, Ephraim Goldberg. Both are Dayanim. And both are highlighting something that is completely forbidden according to the Torah law. And they're saying this is a great thing that's happened. Sort of like what uh, Mirvis's friend, Dweck, said years ago about how LGBTQ is a wonderful evolvement of, of society, of some other nonsense that he said. So here we see that they're not even hiding this. They're proud of this. They're highlighting this, even though it's clearly against Allah. Now, if you were to say they're two commoners, they don't know anything, and therefore, they can make a mistake. That would be fine. But they're not. They are representing the Jewish people to a certain extent in their communities, as well as the public at large. You have both personalities, have very big audience, very big followers, apparently very big ignorance, or very big corruption. When those that are not ignorant say something, these two crooks come out and say, no, what are you talking about? We're not violating Allah. You're misunderstanding it. You're misunderstanding the Rambam. You're misunderstanding the Shulchan Aruch. You're misunderstanding the Yabiya Omer. You're misunderstanding everything. I'm not praying there with them. I'm praying for myself. And anyway, what they were talking about, they're not saying your life is at risk. So my life was at risk. How? He mentions the king sent me an invitation saying, I command. So he commanded me to come. So the average person said, oh, he commanded. Oh, so maybe your life was on the line because the king commanded you to come. So maybe your life was on the line, but maybe the words here is not really, 
Maybe the words here are saying you're not allowed to go on your own, but if he commanded you, it's not discussed here, so maybe you are allowed. Maybe you are allowed. And that's where the manipulation of the average person would end with a win for the criminals. But anyone who knows a few things and certainly knows how criminals do their crime can easily spot the lie by paying attention to other details. You see, that same invitation that says command from the king is preceded by a statement and followed by a statement from Ephraim Midavis says that he already has a strong relationship with King Charles for nearly a decade. In fact, he went on multiple trips with King Charles to Israel. In fact, he also has a personal relationship with them whereby he was actually invited to the palace before this whole event where him and his wife were discussing it with him with the with the king and the queen meaning they're friends he's not just some religious leader that happens to be in england the very same place that this guy is the king and no 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 they're friends you could even say good friends so wait so you're a good friend that you went to his house just a few days before the invitation arrived at your house commanded you to such an extent where you understood it that if you don't go he's gonna kill you because that's the permission you're relying on to justify the alacha there is the difference between creating a leniency and finding a leniency you see in alacha when you read different poskim, you'll see that many times the poskim are constantly looking to find the leniency to make things easier for Am Israel so we don't find them guilty. So we don't put them in a situation where they have to get punished. So if you look at the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, you'll see that the way that they question the witnesses almost makes it impossible for the witness to be found guilty for the for the person to be guilty after the questioning and the process of the witnesses goes through because if the witnesses are not there not the same time not the same day not the same hour not the same color all the, literally a whole realm of questions if they don't answer everything perfect they're disqualified as a witness which relieves the person that's being accused of punishment of, of a crime so much so that the Gemara says that if they found somebody guilty if they killed somebody once every seven years some people say once every seven years it was considered like a uh, a bad dean that's killing people too much so the post scheme are constantly looking for ways for leniencies in order not to find clearly said guilty if it's possible but that's finding the leniency if it exists not creating it the Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah page 14a says 
דקולה דה בן שמאי, דקולה דה בית הלל, רשע Someone that looks for the leniencies of Bet Shammai and the leniencies of Bet Hillel, meaning he's only looking for leniencies, he's only looking for the things that make his life easier, he's a wicked person. He's a wicked person. Why? You can't just look for leniencies. You have to look for the truth. So you can't assume that the lenience is always the truth. If the leniency is true, good. But if it's not true, and the stringent op- opinion is the truth, then that's where you go. So one that only looks for leniencies is a wicked person. Needless to say here, they're also referring to one who creates a leniency, such as what we have here, where on one hand he's telling you the invitation is directly from the king, so you can say he commanded, but yet at the same few sentences... You're also saying you are very friendly with the king. You went on a personal visit to the palace of the king just days before the invitation arrived. Where's the threat? Where's the life is on the line? Now this Rabotai is where the Alakha needs to be known. You see, the Gemara, the Yerushalmi, Masechet Bikurim, in chapter 3, or section 3, Alakha number 1, brings a verse from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 20, which says, the God of silver, the God of gold, don't make for yourself. This is a Kadosh Baruch Hu commanding Am Yisrael not to make ourselves a foreign God. And the sages in the Gemara in Masechet Bikurim says, who else is this referring to other than the obvious statement of statues of, of silver, of gold? The Gemara says the following, this is written about people who buy their positions of power. They're talking about positions in the Kehuna, positions such as the chief rabbi, they bought that position. They're in it for money. They're in it for some type of financial benefit. This is referring to them. And those people, when they put on their talit, look at that talit the same way you look at a rug on top of a donkey. That's what it is in the eyes of God. He's a donkey. He's not a really a chief rabbi. Now you would say, wait a minute. Hold on a second. How can you say such a thing about a chief rabbi? How can you say such a thing about the head rabbi? Because that's the halacha. Halacha to call him a donkey? Halacha to call him a donkey and a lot of other things. Shuchan Aruch, Ilchot Dayanim, Inchoshen Mishpat, Siman Chet, Halacha Aleph. He says the following. First and foremost, to the communities of Boca Raton, to the communities of RCA, to the communities of the UK, you need to be reminded of what you apparently are supposed to know. You put these people in charge, you are sinning every single second they're in charge. Why? 
putting a person as a dayan when he's not a goon he's not considered a fair person he's not considered someone that's qualified for the job is considered a sin against the torah furthermore the halacha continues later on says the dayan the same thing that we mentioned in the Gemara, in the verse of Exodus. It says, any Dayan who comes into the position of power for the sake of money, for the sake of gold, for the sake of popularity, for the sake of, you know, not really helping people, simply helping themselves, the same crooks that the Chazonish is talking about, the same crooks that Masehet Bikurim is talking about, the same crooks as the book of Exodus is talking about, the same crooks, same type of person, Shuchan Aruch Paskets, forbidden to stand in front of him, meaning you can't stand in his honor. And furthermore, mitzvah lezalzelbo to make fun of him where else is it in the Torah that it's a mitzvah to make fun of something Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah says it's a mitzvah to make fun of idolatry so a dayan that is loagun that's not a fair judge that's not someone that's following the Torah he's considered like an asherah tree he's considered like an idol worshipping tree meet the new uh, Xmas trees Goldberg and Mirvis incorporated why because when you make a mistake it's not a problem everybody makes mistakes when you highlight the mistake to such an extent that you make people believe that it's not a mistake and everyone else is mistaken you're a crook you're a crook now it's important to know that the evil here is not just in one but rather both and one of the things we found here that is going to prove it is anyone that simply watches that video or at least the first few minutes of it I wouldn't waste an hour on it if I were you within the first few minutes you see how a Kadosh Baruch Hu fulfills the verse he himself wrote and Hashem opened the mouth of the donkey we're in the beginning of this podcast by Ephraim Goldberg before he starts talking to Mirvis Ephraim Goldberg brings up something he's happy about something he's jolly about what is he jolly about he says that his friend the former Prime Minister of Israel and the enemy of the Jewish people according to many opinions simply because of how much damage he caused to the religious Jews in such a short term that he was in this Naftali Bennett was someone that was challenged by many rabbis and some made certain statements that he sued them over it not in a Beddin, but rather in a civil court, which is, according to Allah, is Chilul Hashem, is desecration of God's name. Not allowed to go to a civil court for such things. If he had a problem with the rabbis or with other Jews, he has to go to a Beddin. But he chose to ignore the Beddin, even though he claims to be religious. And he went to a civil court and he sued 
a couple of rabbis that spoke against him. And Ephraim Goldberg is happy about this. He's happy that Naftali Bennett sued the rabbis and won one of the lawsuits. He's happy that Naftali Bennett won a lawsuit against the rabbi because this is to show that you can't just say whatever you want to say. And if that was enough, I probably wouldn't mention it. But the part that really showed me how wicked he really is and how Hashem opened up the mouth of a donkey is when Goldberg says the following, and you know he's suing another one. I'm not going to mention any names as if the world doesn't know who the other names are. He's referring to Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi Sheikhyeh. He's also being sued by Naftali Bennett. And Ephraim, after making the public peace with Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi, under the pressure of Torah anytime and their genius advice that they gave for Rabbi Mizrahi to make peace with this Rasha, for the better good, this snake, this con man, this evil monster, says happily, openly, proudly, I really need to find out if I could join this and maybe we could do like a class action lawsuit against this rabbi. Meaning, he's not only happy that one rabbi already lost a, a civil lawsuit against the guy that went against the entire Jewish people, Naftali Bennett, but he wants to join him in the lawsuit to go and sue Rabbi Mizrahi and whoever else. He wants to join him in a civil court. He wants to join him as a class action lawsuit. He wants to join him. He wants to sue also. He's not only happy that another Jew has suffered loss, but he wants to join the ambush. Also in the news, and then we're going to get to our, our esteemed, incredible guest, Chief Rabbi Sir Ephraim Mervis. Um, but I saw in the news today that our friend, former Behind the Bima guest, former Prime Minister of Israel, Naftali Bennett, and his mother sued a rabbi who um, publicly and, and went viral on that person's social media, 700,000 people, said, Naftali Bennett's this and that, he's anti-religious and he's miserable, and he's not even Jewish, his mother's not Jewish. Mm. So good for Naftali and, and his mother, Myrna Barrett, and they sued this rabbi mm. and they won. Today or yesterday, they won. The rabbi at the end had to apologize, admit he was wrong. The The court is still going to decide the fine. Naftali has said all that money will go to charity. He's not interested in the money. And this is the part I'm proud of. He said, you can't just say whatever you want to say. You mm. can't with an internet connection and a camera and a microphone just spew rhetoric and hate and say whatever you want to say, including falsehoods and lies. Wow. So he took down this first rabbi, and I happen to know he's going after another. Who really? that person... Yeah, I'm not going to use any names, but he's going I didn't after say another. About Wasn't you? Someone who spoke about you and me, but he's going after another. I want to know: Can we do a class action suit? How do I get in on this? Because I'd also like to hold them accountable. But you know, what? good for enough, Telly. I love that. Now you're going to say, "Yeah, but he, he's right. He shouldn't have said what he said." Even so, why? Why does Ephraim? And Manis and all these other people always preach to people in order to grab their hearts and put it in their hands. They love everyone. They accept everyone. They don't uh, reject everyone. They're welcoming. They love their brethren. Where the love is in this speech, I'm not so sure. But everywhere else they love. Well, let's just see. 
What does the Allah say about loving your brother? Sefer HaChinuch, Mitzvah number 243, the obligation to love your fellow Jew, comes from the verse in Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. You shall not take revenge and you shall not bear a grudge against the members of your people. You shall love your fellow as yourself. I am Hashem. That's the verse. In so many words, you want to love first and foremost. No, remove all revenge from your heart. Already we see Ephraim failing number one. The Chinuch says the following. It's an obligation to love each and every fellow Jew with the love that one has for his own self. That is to say, we must be concerned for every single Jew and for his property. Just like a person is concerned for his own self and his own property. We are so commanded as it says in Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your fellow as yourself. In describing this mitzvah, our sages of blessed memory said in Masechet Shabbat, page 31a, that which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. They also stated in the Sifra, in the name of Rabbi Akiva, you shall love your fellow as yourself. This is a great principle of the Torah. That is to say, many of the mitzvot in the Torah depend upon the fulfillment of this mitzvah. Because one who loves his fellow as himself will not steal his property, nor will commit adultery with his wife, nor will defraud him financially, nor will hurt him verbally, nor shift his boundary, nor cause him harm in any manner. Many other commandments similarly depend upon the fulfillment of this mitzvah. The matter is surely known to every intelligent person and does not need to be elaborated. So the first part of the Chinuch, written about 700 years ago, that loving your fellow Jew, first and foremost, remove that revenge. Two, you have to be concerned about his property. Why are you happy that he lost money to Naftali Bennett as a multimillionaire? Three, you shouldn't want any harm to him. Even if you disagree with him, doesn't mean you should want harm for him. You could disagree with his opinion, you could disagree with his statements, but to want harm to him? In fact, to even press the, the uh, put the fuel on the fire and say you want to join this class action lawsuit? Turn this into a class action lawsuit? Where's the love to your fellow Jew? Where's the love to your fellow Jew that you publicize so often? Do not steal his property. Do you know that when someone wins money in a civil court, it's considered stealing, it's considered gezel? Do not defraud him financially. Going to a civil court, winning the money that they win, whatever they end up saying, this is owed to him, it's going to be considered fraud according to the Torah. Do not cause him any harm. This is obviously causing people harm. And you can't say this is only for Dayanim to know because the Chinook says every intelligent person should know this. Now if that was it, it would be enough. But the Chinook says more. The underlying purpose of this mitzvah, says the Chinook, is that it's human nature that one treat his fellow just as one treat his fellow so will his fellow treat him 
And so through observing this obligation to love one's fellow as oneself, there will be peace among the people. The laws of this mitzvah are included in the mitzvah itself. For the all-inclusive general rule clearly stated in the Torah is that a person should behave towards his fellow as he would behave towards himself. For which it follows that one is obligated, pay attention closely to the words I'm about to say, one is obligated to guard his fellow's property and keep all harm away from it. So, being happy about your fellow Jews lost in a court is certainly not protecting his property telling people you want to join a lawsuit against another fellow Jew needless to say another rabbi is certainly not protecting their property publicizing it to endless amount of people on the internet and in your community certainly is not protecting their property and if one speaks about him one should speak in his praise and take concern for his dignity and certainly and certainly not derive honor from his disgrace. As the sages have taught us in Yerushalmi Masechet Chayga, page 2, Alakha number 1, whoever derives honor from the disgrace of his fellow has no share of the world to come. Ephraim Goldberg, aside from all of the sins that you've made that we know of and the sins that we don't know of, only HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows of, you, my dear friend, just lost your ulama in public by taking honor for your fellow Jews' downfall. Your listeners would certainly benefit in your public tshuva the Jewish people at large should certainly benefit from your public tshuva. And even more so, you should tell your other friend, Mirvis, his tshuva will certainly benefit himself, his family, the Jewish people of the UK and any followers he has at large for him to do public tshuva, for their mistakes, for his mistakes, for not only going against the halacha, but publicizing it in such a fashion that he made it look like it's allowed. To mock individuals is one thing. To mock the Torah is an unforgivable sin, unless the tshuva is greater than the sin itself. This Rabotai Karim is the Chazonish telling us that sometimes you're gonna have leaders that they're gonna be good speakers they're gonna be in a position of power they're going to be people that have access to information to resources they're gonna be in a perfect position to lead the jewish people or mislead the jewish people don't assume just because they have the position and the ability that they're going to do the job like they should. The onus is on each and every single one of us to know what the truth is. And therefore we can recognize the lie 
when it's looking at us straight in the face. Thank you very much for learning with me. May Hashem bless each and every single one of you. And may Hashem give those two and everyone else that we've spoken about over the years the power, the inclination, and the desire to do a public tshuva no less than their public sins. And we benefit and merit from dancing next to them once they do so. But until then, we continue to fight. Thank you.